Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia, and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today, we have on with us Alex Turoff. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist, an NASM certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. She holds her bachelor's degree in media, culture, and communications and nutrition from New York University, my school too, and a master's degree in clinical nutrition from New York University. And she's the founder of Alex Turoff Nutrition. And she's here today to answer all of our nutrition questions. And we're so excited to have her. Hey, Alex. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming. We're so excited. I am too. This is yeah, gonna be we're so, so excited. We all recently discovered we live super close to each other. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> lots of things in common, but we're gonna get into all of the good stuff. Awesome. So excited. So Alex, let's start off. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are. Yeah. So I just made it into the 20s. I told my husband I'm going on the Roaring 20s podcast. And he's like, well, you're turning 30 soon, but I'm 29. So yes. It's perfect. Yep. Um, I am from New York. So I grew up in Manhasset for the most part. My parents moved us all around Brooklyn, Manhasset, Syosset, Long Island girl though. And I am, like you said, I'm a registered dietitian and I work with women who have let's say have been kind of entrenched in diet culture for a long time. And while they don't want to live a life of restriction anymore, they do still have certain aesthetic goals, whether that's to lose weight or just to feel more comfortable in their body. So I'm in this kind of weird space, especially right now, where I do help women with weight loss if it's appropriate, but I also help them do just form a healthier relationship with food and learn to become more comfortable or at least neutral with their bodies. And I do that all virtually. So luckily right now during this pandemic. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So I've been, you know, totally. I've been on Zoom for a while. So that's been good. So cool. Yeah. And I think that it's it's so important. We talk a lot about mental, physical, social, emotional. We talk about health being more than physical health on this podcast so much. Um, and we have a bunch of guests coming on and all the things that talk about diet culture and the impacts of that. So I think it's really cool that you are in this space where you help women achieve whatever it is they want to achieve, but it seems like you do put their mental health first, which I think is so important because we've learned through our own journeys and through podcasting and and meeting so many people in general that there are certain things that are, you know, put into our heads that we believe to be true and impact us in so many ways and end up getting us sometimes in a very weird place. So I I think your approach is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And going off of that a little bit, what actually inspired you to become a registered dietitian? Like what, what does a dietitian do? Sure. So I, when I went, when I first went to NYU, I really wanted to become a journalist. So this was, I graduated high school in 2008. So this was like the year that magazines really, the industry really changed and all of the magazines started folding and it was definitely not a great year. And maybe that was a good thing because I don't know if it would have led me to nutrition as quickly as it did necessarily. But I had my own relationship with dieting from a kind of young age, I would say I was 
definitely aware of my body and being unhappy in my body from a very young age. I remember, you know, nine or 10, but I wasn't like, my mom didn't put me on Weight Watchers at 10 years old. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, put on a restrictive diet. My parents, I would say like did all the right things, but I still got messed up. So (laughs) it wasn't like my mom was dieting all the time. She Mm -hmm. actually has like a pretty healthy relationship with food, which has seems rare nowadays. But I was, I was a really picky eater. So I definitely didn't eat well. I ate a lot of kid food, I would say no vegetables. And I didn't move at all. I didn't play any sports. So I wound up being, I guess, a chubbier kid. And when especially when I got to middle school, I really felt it. So my name, my last name is T-U-R-O-F-F, which is one letter away from turnoff. And I remember kids calling me Alex Turnoff and just just really being aware of the fact that I was like a little bit bigger than everyone else and not really knowing what to do about it until one day it just something snapped in me. And I was like, I can't, I'm so unhappy. I really think that this is not a good motivation, but I see this happen where like, I just hate myself and I need to change something. So I started, I don't know how I even knew what to do at that time. I always think like, how did you know to go on your first diet? Or how did you know how to lose weight at such a young age? I just said like, I'm just gonna eat as little as I possibly can and see if that works. Well, when I started doing that, it didn't really work so well because I was really hungry. But eventually, Mm -hmm. I think over time, I just started eating less and less. And I became really scared of food because I saw that when I was eating less, I was losing weight and I was getting the positive reinforcement. I had no idea how to balance a meal or balance my plate. The only thing I knew at that time was like, if you eat less, you lose weight. And so that really became ingrained in me. And it wasn't until I was probably 16 that my parents were like, okay, you need to see a dietitian. And we I don't even know if they knew what it was. They brought me to the doctor and they were like, okay, you need to figure out how to eat and you need to learn how to eat. We're going to send you to our dietitian. And I actually had a very negative experience with her. So it was, I kind of told her like, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm not eating very much. I'm really scared of food. I'm really scared to gain the weight back. I've lost about 40 pounds at that point. I was like 16 and it was a big deal. It was the biggest thing in my life at that time. And she was like, okay, she handed me up a meal plan, didn't ask me any questions and said, here, here's your meal plan. Eat 3000 calories and I'll see you in two weeks. And I'm like, this is not what I needed. No. And there's no way I'm going to do that. So to me, I just didn't even, it didn't help me in any way. It just maybe felt like I was even more alone that no one was there to really help me through it. And I wound up somehow I was at the time live journal was a very popular thing. So it's sort of like, Tumblr, maybe even before Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm-hmm. the early blogs. And there were nutrition blogs and there were people who would teach you how to diet. And like I can't even imagine going back on there and seeing some of the crazy things probably. Yeah, but somehow, sure. yeah. Somehow I stumbled upon someone named Lane Norton, who he is someone who I follow still on Instagram. And he was sort of in the bodybuilding space, but he had a video about reverse dieting, which basically was that, and it's something I still use with clients where you have dieted for so long that you basically completely ruined your metabolism. And Mm -hmm. now in order to keep the weight off, you 
can't eat anything. The second you eat anything, you gain weight. And I was like, well, that's exactly where I am. And he also really kind of understood the mental shifts that happen to you during weight loss. And when you have been overweight and then you lose weight, the fear of going back there because now you're getting all this positive reinforcement and people like you and you're accepted. And he really spoke to that. So he was like, you just add, and it's, this is very simplified, but for me, this is what resonated. You just add 50 calories a week until you get your metabolism back up. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I think that like really kind of saved me. I was like, well, how come no one told me to do this before? So I started reading a lot from there and really found myself, he, he is a PhD in exercise science and nutrition. And so he spoke a lot about metabolism and how food was processed in the body, how carbs work. And I'm like, wait, that's not as scary as it sounds. I think actually my body needs carbohydrates. Now mm -hmm. I understand how I, how to use them. And I think for me, that's like really what clicked was when I understood the science and of physiology and how food works in the body, I lost a lot of the fear and a lot of the rules around food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is what kind of inspired my own practice now. That still didn't, it still didn't occur to me to become a dietitian though at that time. I was still dead set on being in the fashion industry or something mm -hmm. and something glamorous. So I started <laughs> interning at, I think I interned at Teen Vogue and Shape and all of those things and I hated it. I hated every second of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, That's why you intern. That's why you do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was a sophomore, so it was fine. I was like, okay, I don't like this now. What am I going to do? I still really like to write. So I wound up applying for a job at F Factor Diet, which at the time they had a website called Skinny in the City. I know it would not exist now. But <laughs> yeah. um I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. They need someone to write like, lifestyle content about like new fun food products that are coming out and, you know, nutrition and fitness. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool because it's the stuff I like and I can also write and it looks like a really fashionable office. So I had no idea that it was also a nutrition practice. When I got there, it just so happens that the founder is someone who runs a very successful dietitian. It didn't even really consider that as a career. And that and she had went to NYU, which is like, you know, you're really interested in this. This is a great career path. Mm -hmm. So it was very quick after that internship. I'm like, okay, I'm going to become a registered dietitian. Went oh back my, my advisor. And then I started my path there. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you for sharing all of that with us. And I think I, I'm just like, I'm so fascinated by all of it because I feel like we're in such a tricky space with diet culture right now. Like there's, me and Julia talked the other day about how there's these two like polar opposites. Like either it's all diet culture, that's the only way to go about or, you know, there's this other portion where it's shameful to want to achieve fitness goals and like kind of trying to figure out how to fall in the middle. And I think the biggest takeaway that I've gotten so far from, it seems, your approach and also things that... That that's hard to, to fit into is like using knowledge and having knowledge of nutrition to inform your decisions, but not having them totally be, you know, not feeling guilt or shame <laughs> or judgment towards yourself or fear if you don't make those choices. And I feel like that's the biggest difference, like that there are so many people that say you're allowed to have fitness goals, you could do, you know, do whatever works for you. But there is a huge difference between feeling like you have to do something and feeling like people will be disappointed or won't love you or you won't be beautiful if you don't pursue those goals and doing them out of being like, hey, like I, I, you know, I feel better this way when I eat this way or I feel better. I want to challenge myself in this fitness area. I don't know. So I, I appreciate that approach because I think it falls really nicely in the middle and, and doesn't add any pressure to 
you know, you're not saying your way is the only way or the right way. So just I think that's so powerful when there's a lot of mixed messages. Thank you. Yeah. And it's definitely been hard because I think you said it perfectly, really. It's so much about intention. And if you're going about it because you hate your body and you hate yourself, and you wake up every day feeling guilty and terrible and you're going about it, you're over-exercising, you're under-eating because you're punishing yourself, that's a really negative place to be. Mm-hmm. And that's different than saying, you know what, I don't really, I want to take a good look at my behaviors and I don't really like that I say I'm going to run a 5K and then I never get up and do it. I don't really like that about myself. I want to follow through with something. Or I don't really like that every night I say I'm going to cook and I throw out my groceries at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. It's not about the weight. It's about the fact that you said you were going to do something that you didn't do. And it just makes you feel like crap. Yeah. And when you can come from a place of like love and respect for yourself of like, okay, I want to, I want to learn about nutrition so that I can fill my body with nutritionist things that will make me live long, that will make me feel good, that will give me energy to do the other million things in my life that I want to do. When you come from a place of, I want to exercise so that I can be strong so that I can, you know, not get scoliosis or something or Mm -hmm or have my muscles degenerate as I get older. It's, it's so much of it is really how we talk to ourselves. And it, intention, like you guys both said, I think is so important and so beautiful when you put it all together like that. It is. Yeah. And then there's the ability to have the other side of it too, where like you can go out and have a weekend, you know, and have a couple of drinks with your friends and eat foods that you wouldn't normally eat. And to be able to wake up on Monday and not feel like, oh my God, I completely mm-hmm. overdid it. And like, I'm never going to get to my goal and just be like you know what it was so worth it it's not a big deal that's not what I do most of the time and I'm gonna have a salad at lunch today because it's like I got it out of my system and I feel fine so as long as you can have both sides and not be live in this rigid place where you can never go and have fun that's very different so it's not easy to achieve but I do think that people can achieve it yeah no and I, I definitely agree and I feel like you and and your job what you do is to inform people and give them all of the knowledge because I feel like it is the tricky part with with this space too I feel like is that there are often people who have dieted and yo-yo dieted throughout their lives I feel like have some sort of nutrition thoughts which is why maybe they can find this place of balance I don't want to say easier because the mental part is really really hard but can (laughs) get to this place of balance after because they still have that little educational piece but I feel like there are definitely people out there who maybe have never had an experience with disordered eating or stuff like that who might not or, or maybe don't either but don't have this educational component that can make it true because it's like I don't know let's say you're making a smoothie it's very easy to add a bunch of things in there without just being aware it doesn't mean it makes you feel like a bad person but not being aware of what you're putting in there so with all of that amazing stuff being said what specifically like made you approach your practice in a way that encompasses a healthy relationship with food yeah I think you said it really perfectly and it's sort of like the elephant in the room is that many people kind of preaching intuitive eating or you know, complete mindfulness or the ability to trust your body have had their own experience not trusting their body and they've gone through that. And at that point, they can trust their body. But there are people who are, especially in our generation with social media, they're just confused. Like, yeah, they don't know if how much, if they make a smoothie, is it bad to put fruit or should they eat fruit first thing in the morning? Should they put MCT oil? Can they use protein powder? Is whey protein bad? Can they, should they only use vegan protein? Like, <sighs> I heard chia seeds are good. I heard almond milk is good, but not with fillers. They're not this, like, they don't know 
what to do at all. And there's so, so there's much on Instagram and there's like just yeah. so much out there, Instagram, Twitter, like whatever that is like mm-hmm. really contradicting itself all the time. It can yeah. be so <laughs> overwhelming for anybody and everybody. Yep. Like, so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So you do kind of need to know the basis. Like there are some best practices when it comes to nutrition. They're not written in stone. There's so many ways to be healthy and the way you build your smoothie, if you want it to be low carb, if you want greens in it, if you don't, maybe you don't want greens in your smoothie. Does that make you bad? No, because I have them at lunch. I just know that I'm balancing it somewhere. But I think that you need that information. I don't think you need it. I think some people are able to do it another way. So I don't want to say that. But for me, I needed that information. So and I know there are other people like me. And my clients are like me. Now, there are also other dietitians, and this is what's so great. There are dietitians who fully practice intuitive eating by the book, and some people need that. Mm -hmm. There are some dietitians who work specifically with people with type 1 diabetes or celiac disease, and they know everything about that because maybe they have it themselves and they can tell you the best gluten-free products and the best things on the market and how to make yourself feel good. So what's really important too is to know your scope of practice, to know when a client is not the right fit for you, especially let's say they're deep in an eating disorder. I'm not going to take them on. I'm going to refer them out to a colleague who can help them. So that is really, really important too, is that we are specialists. So we all have this general knowledge that we learn in school, but we all kind of go our own way and we Mm. specialize in different things. And I have a, a network of RD friends that I refer to and they refer to me and it's not a competition, which I think is really cool, at least within my circle, where I don't want to work with a client that I can't help. That's not going to empower me as a, as a business person, someone who's going to, you know, walk away and say that was a terrible experience. This girl couldn't help me. She made it worse. So I think that's important too, to know, like my approach is not right for everyone and that's fine, but it might be right for someone. And I deserve to have a voice without someone telling me that I'm fat phobic, which has happened, which I'm so, I'm not. Um, Clearly not. (laughs) Or that, you know, it's so bad that I talk about calories because we're not talking about them and then no one knows what they are. Mm -hmm. So we're not, I'm not telling you that how many calories are in something to tell you that you can only eat that much. It's just a unit of measure. Mm, yep, totally. Yeah, I think that's so important. And like, uh, and I love that you said that. It's like, it's just like anything else in your life. Like not everyone is right for everyone. Not every approach to everything is right for everybody. You have to find what works for you. And it's like, like you said, even in your story, the first dietitian that you went to, she wasn't right for you. And I just, I think that that's so important. Everyone has to do what's right for their bodies. And sometimes that takes some trial and error, but it's just finding like the right fit and do what works for you. Yeah. yeah. We say it's like a therapist, really, because we I was thinking that <laughs> we work with people really intimately. Like nutrition is big. We talk about uncomfortable things. We talk about bowel movements. We talk about things that they're not proud of, binges that they're not proud of telling me about or traps that they fall into or slipping back the other way. And they mm-hmm. need to be able to trust me that I am going to hold space for them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also going to be able to help them just by getting it out and saying it, even thinking back to this week and a client today. I have them kind of submit an update form before our call. So I know where they're at before we get on the call. And she was very negative in her form today. And she said, I did so poorly this weekend. I'm not really proud of myself. And then when we got on the phone, and I said, well, why do you, why did you think you did so poorly? What happened? She's like, well, now that we talked it out, 
actually there was like one or two things that I, I now know I could do differently, but it really wasn't so bad. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we spoke about that. It's yeah. very similar to therapy in that way. Yeah, no, and, and I can tell too that it, I think it's important that when you're seeing anyone that you feel that they have your best interest in mind. And I think mm. that you, the way that you worded everything really does show your mission. It's it's not that you inherently believe that a smaller body is better or superior or any of no. those things. It's just that you're there to support people in whichever mission they have. And if it's not right for them in that whatever stage they are in their life at that time, then then you take that and, and refer them to what's right for them in that moment. So I just yeah. admire you so much for everything that you're sharing. Thank um, you. And one thing I want to say about that with the smaller body, I will say I've been in a smaller body and I was not never more miserable. So Mm -hmm. I personally know that there's a line, there's a line where you cross over into like obsession and where it takes Mm -hmm. over your life. And it's not, it's not about health anymore. So there are people who come to me, especially, you know, we live in uh, the North shore of Long Island. There are many of my clients are from here. It's a very Mm -hmm. image driven place and they come to me at a low weight, wanting to lose more weight. And I have to say, I can't help you. Yeah. That's right. wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, yeah. No, yeah. definitely. And and I think everything you're saying is, is so important. So being that, we said so many incredible things already, and I can't wait to dive into this. Um, I think we wanted to take some time to focus a little bit on that educational part, you mm-hmm. know, coming from people for us to kind of get to know the basics. Um, without because control. I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything. Pressure, just whatever works for you guys. But we have so many questions and some things that there's so much mixed information out there about. So why don't we dive in. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So I feel like the hot thing right now is inflammation. Mm-hmm. And I saw you do a post on it in your Instagram a couple of days ago. Um, what the heck is inflammation? Why is it such a hot topic right now? And why is it so important to eat inflammatory foods? Yeah. So inflammation is a very important process and good process in the body. It's good that we have this. So it is? Okay. <laughs> See, I already don't know. See, it can be good. So there's a difference between acute inflammation, which happens, let's say you get a paper cut and think about the immune response basically that happens. All of the antibodies rush to the scene, if you remember, and then they take care of the cut and everything's mm-hmm. better. But what that is, your body is now in a state of inflammation. It's in a state of stress. So the uh, inflammatory response is there to help us repair. So this happens when we exercise. And you'll hear a lot about this now, like cardio is bad for you or don't do cardio because it's inflammatory. Well, when you run on the treadmill or you run outside or you lift weights, you're really, what you're doing is you are breaking down muscle, especially Mm -hmm. when you're lifting weights, you're tearing the muscle. And then when you recover, hopefully with good nutrition and rest, you are then repairing the muscle so that it can build back stronger. So with chronic inflammation, especially where you see is with someone who over-exercises, let's say, and under-eats, they're keeping their body in this state of chronic stress all the time mm-hmm. where you're always pounding it out on the treadmill or at berries, and then you're lifting weights and you're not eating enough to support that activity and your body's basically freaked out all the time. That is not good. Now, there are also inflammatory conditions. So I personally have ulcerative colitis, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. So Crohn's and ulcerative colitis fall into that inflammatory bowel disease. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is like, if you were to look inside my colon, you would see it's red and inflamed when I'm going through a flare. And basically what's happening is my body is mistaking 
my own cells for intruders. So this is what happens with celiac disease too, mm-hmm. and why people, you know, they gluten, they see gluten, and gluten is something that most of us have no problem eating unless your body sees it as an intruder, and then it attacks it, it and it creates this like crazy response, and it causes stomach issues and bloating and all of these things. So there are definitely people who have inflammatory conditions who need to be aware of that, but chronic inflammation, so something like IBD or acute inflammation running on the treadmill is very different. Thing with it is if the anti-inflammatory foods are just healthy foods in general, it's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, salmon, like all the things that we know are good for us anyway. What happens is when something becomes popular, or I guess like, especially with gluten, that's been a while now where that's been a big focus, Mm -hmm. but dairy People say dairy is inflammatory. The research actually shows that it's not inflammatory, especially unless, wow. you know, if you're intolerant to it, then it right. is. And some people are. Some people are, and they need to avoid it. But not everyone is. So they hear that, and they're like, okay, well, if I cut it out, then that's going to be my answer, because then I won't be inflamed. Mm. If you a healthy body, and not to say that I'm not healthy because I have inflammatory bowel disease, but my body's not acting the way it's supposed to act. Mm-hmm. But most people, are per- their bodies are operating perfectly fine and they're taking care of the intruders that they need to, so they don't necessarily need to be worried about that. But there are inflammatory conditions, so even something like psoriasis mm-hmm. or lupus or any of these autoimmune diseases are inflammatory. And even then... I would say I would never put someone on an anti-inflammatory diet if they weren't under the care of a physician. Mm-hmm. For me, no amount of anti-inflammatory foods is going to cure my colitis. I need to be on medication. Mm-hmm. So that's really where I find like there's a lot of misinformation that this is somehow going to be magical. So interesting. I just learned yeah. so much. So interesting and so helpful. And so would you say there is a so is there even, a, how do I even word this? Like a difference between, like bloating is inflammation, but if you have not pinpointed what is causing that, how do you kind of go about solving it? Maybe that's a question that doesn't work. Like I know digestive no, enzymes No, are... that's a good question. Oh, it is. Good okay, question. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think first people don't necessarily know what's a normal level of bloating and what's mm. not. It is normal to bloat after eating a big meal or eating a big salad. Raw vegetables tend to be bloating for many people. Some people can tolerate them more than others. Or eating a lot of beans, often high fiber foods, especially if you're not used to them, Mm -hmm. can be bloating. And that is normal. It might mean that your body's not used to fiber and you have to kind of increase it slowly. But then there's a level of bloating where when you eat anything, you're feeling this like distension that's very uncomfortable and it lasts for a long time or you have a lot of gas. Mm -hmm. So that's really where like the food intolerances or sensitivities come in, which again, it's it kind of sad because they're very valid, but because they've gotten like so blown out of proportion, no, it's almost like no one takes them seriously anymore because everyone can't eat gluten all of a sudden, right? which is like not really true there, but there are really some people who can't tolerate it mm-hmm. and then no one really believes them in a way. <laughs> right. So how do you know? It's so how true. You, yeah. How do you know if you do have a true intolerance and how do you know what's causing it? Mm -hmm. Um, the best way to do it is an elimination diet. So it's not a weight loss diet. Mm -hmm. It's meant, it is restrictive, 
but not for weight loss. So basically what you do, the gold standard is called a low FODMAP diet, mm-hmm. F-O-D-M-A-P. And Heard that term for it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so basically foods that are high in FODMAPs, there's different categories. And basically they're all carbohydrates, but they're, some of them are very, very healthy foods like asparagus, avocado, apples, beans, they all fall into different categories. But for whatever reason, some people with IBS are not digesting them the way that they should. And what happens is they, these foods bypass the small intestine, and then they make it to the large intestine, the colon and the bacteria, which again, is also popular, those the gut bacteria start eating up those foods and basically fermenting them and fermentation causes gas Mm. and bloating and discomfort. So if someone comes to me with those issues, the first depends the extent of your issues. If you're really, really suffering and uncomfortable, first go to a gastroenterologist. Once you've done that, Hopefully they refer you to a dietitian if nothing, if there's nothing that they can find. And basically what you would do is you go on a two to three week elimination diet where you're eliminating all of the known trigger foods, mm-hmm. the high FODMAP foods, and you're evaluating how you feel. You leave all those foods out or they think that they can never add them back in. The goal is to add them back in slowly and see if you can tolerate them. So it's, you cut out everything and then you add things back one by one. If you're fine, then you know that's not the trigger. Uh-huh. It's slow and it's annoying, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. You, you could figure out in two months what those triggers are for you. So if you really suffer from bloating, then that could be worth it. If you want to take like the lazy route, not it's not really lazy. I'd say this is the route I would probably take because I don't uh, – a limit, full-blown elimination diet is not easy. Yeah. I would keep a journal, a food journal and a symptom, food and symptoms journal. So you're writing down Mm. the time you're eating, what you're eating, the amount. And whenever you have symptoms, whether it's gas bloating, when you're going to the bathroom, if you're going to the bathroom, and any other relevant information. And then after two weeks, we're going to look back and see if there's any sort of pattern. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful and and really relevant, I'm sure, to stuff that people are struggling with. A lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And since you kind of mentioned the sensitivity thing, um, what do you have any thoughts on like food sensitivity tests? Like would you think they're accurate or not really? <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm very vocal. I'm kind of I'm gonna working on a post with it just because it is something that I see more and more people coming to me with them. And mm-hmm. I think they can be really damaging for the wrong person because Interesting what the the problem with food sensitivity tests so there's food allergies like celiac disease which is mm-hmm. a gluten allergy and then there's food sensitivities where i don't feel great when i eat chickpeas but i'm not going to i don't need an EpiPen for that mm-hmm. i just i bloat so maybe i'm not going to eat them on a date but a food allergy is actually going to create an immunoglobulin response that could be detected if you get an allergy test so mm-hmm. they can find celiac But there's the problem with these food sensitivity tests is they can detect, they'll basically tell you that you're sensitive to a food if you've eaten it in the past couple days. So there are so many false Mm -hmm. positives on these tests. And usually like they'll come back with a long list of things that you're sensitive to and they'll give you different, like usually green, yellow, and red, but you're very sensitive to this. You're a little bit sensitive to that. 
And when you have someone who's already so entrapped in diet culture and dieting and fear, they now have a a whole other list of restrictions Mm -hmm. that they're scared of. Mm -hmm. And there's no doctors really who are giving these tests. They're never an MD who's giving these tests, but Mm -hmm. there are people who are, who seem like they would be someone who you would go to for a test and you can trust them, Mm -hmm. but they're not medical doctors and they're not, these tests are not validated and they're not, there's no research to support them, which is really, really scary. Yeah. So I do think though, I will say they can be a valuable tool if you're going to use them and then do the elimination diet and actually, okay, they said I'm allergic to all these foods, but let me try to eat an apple and see how I feel. If I feel fine, I know it's BS. Right. So if you want to use it for that, that's fine. But I don't think there's much messaging around that. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. I actually have like looked in the past to try and get a food sensitivity test. Maybe it's different now because I would say I looked around maybe a year ago. And I remember looking and having so much difficulty finding ones that you could use in New York. And I was like, I would search and search and try and look for like practices that would have it. And I found one. And then the test that I guess the at home test type things I found like wouldn't ship to New York and like one other state. And here I am. I'm like, where can I get this shipped? So I'm that crossing I can... the border. <laughs> I'm like, how can I make this happen? And like, this was also like, it's it's crazy how we can be in a headspace where we could feel so desperate for an answer that I was like, mm-hmm. where can I get this shipped? I'm ignoring the fact that there has to be a reason it's not allowed in New right. York. And um, additionally, like it is a more expensive cost, you know, for yeah. something that might not even be fully accurate. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that's super helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I would say if you do suspect issues that they may be absolutely valid, but go see mm-hmm. a gastroenterologist and a dietitian. Um, a really great resource, I I would say, is Kate Scarlotta. And I can send you guys the Ooh. info if you want to link yeah. it. She is yeah. like probably the top dietitian in that, in on top of that research. So she has a lot of good resources on her website. Oh, Amazing. very cool. Thanks, Alex. Mm-hmm. That clears up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of crazy information. Lots of stuff on that. Yeah, it's it's just it always amazes me like how much information there is out there that is like not valid or like not even validated or like so we're glad to have you here. And it's it's just it's not even that it's like not valid. It's just not complete. Like right, they don't give you any context to it. Yeah, like maybe there's little bits of it that are true or valid for some people, but they're making it seem like across the board this is going to be the answer. Right. And then you could just eliminate all those things and yeah. your problems will be gone. Like, like the Whole30. Right. Right. Which really is, Whole30 is an elimination diet. So you're basically, mm-hmm. you're cutting out all these inflammatory foods. And of course you feel good. You haven't eaten, you haven't drank a sip of alcohol in 30 days or had any carbs or like. Right. You only ate things that grew from the ground. So of course you feel good. But right. can you keep doing that? Like, is that feeling Right. Worth it, or maybe can you have some somewhere in the middle? So right. totally, totally. Okay, I have a I have a topic that I have to ask about. I don't know if this falls into a dietitian, so if it doesn't, just tell me. Okay. But um, vitamins. 
I'm so confused about vitamins. I feel like there's so many like trendy vitamins on the market. I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to be taking. So can you talk a little bit about vitamins and like maybe like what are some vitamins that every 20 year old woman should be taking? Like let's say like a regular healthy 20 year old woman maybe because I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> vitamins are a big one. Um, and they're one of those things that there are definitely some that aren't going to do any harm. But there are also some that are just, you don't need to waste your money on. Mm. So the first thing, the best thing, again, is go get your blood work done, which you should be doing every year to make sure you're healthy. One of the most common vitamin deficiencies is vitamin D because we need the sun to make it. Mm -hmm. And one of the good things that we do is we wear sunblock so that we don't get skin cancer, but that actually blocks the rays of the sun and our body can't use those rays to make vitamin D. So many people are vitamin D deficient. Mm. We also don't go outside very much, especially yeah. in New York. Yeah. So if you're deficient, you definitely need a supplement. You can't get it. Like you're not going to get it from food. You're not going to fix that. And your doctor will tell you and they will tell you how much to take and how often. So that's a very common one. The other things with vitamins is you kind of want to look at your specific circumstances. So if you don't eat meat, then you need a B vitamin. There's mm -hmm. no other way to get it. So if you're, especially if you're vegan, mm -hmm. vegetarian, you pretty much need to be taking B12. You could still get calcium, but it's a little bit harder. So that might be something that you take if you're not eating animals or dairy. Mm -hmm. But again, there's other ways to get it. So typically you don't need that. Popular right now is probiotics. There are so many different strains of them. And depending on your specific issue, it's hard to know what, which specific one you should be taking. And mm. sometimes they make matters worse. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of great foods that are high in probiotics, like sauerkraut and kimchi and kombucha and yogurt that you could be, you know, using, but there are some like really medical grade probiotics that a gastroenterologist might prescribe you. So there mm -hmm. is some there. I would say what I, if a lot of people come to me on them and I don't necessarily tell them not to take them, but I would say, let's start, keep doing what you're doing. But once you get your food down, let's see how you do without it. And if there's any difference in it, at least then you save yourself 30 bucks a month, pretty much. Yeah. Interesting. What are the other ones? So you'll see a lot right now lots of sponsored posts from these vitamins where you go online and you take a quiz and yes. it's like, are you tired? Yes. Are you always <laughs> hungry? Yes. You have no energy. Yes, of course. Uh -huh. your, hair, your hair thinning. Yeah. Cause I burn it every day with this. <laughs> right. It's like, I fit everything and they're like, okay, we've created this formula for you, which is basically just based on if you're tired, then they'll give you iron. If your hair is falling out, then they'll give you biotin. If you're, you know, lacking energy, then they're going to give you B12. And mm -hmm. it's just a, it's basically just a fancy multivitamin. Again, I don't, they're not bad. They're not going to hurt you, but they're not really going to do much for you. Yeah. Mm. A multivitamin. I don't think anyone needs it because our food is so fortified. Even mm -hmm. if you if you eat cereal, there's tons of vitamins added to it. But again, it's not going to hurt if you it, it's an insurance policy. If you want if you don't need a ton of fruits and vegetables because you're picky or you don't like them, then sure take one to make sure you you know you can. If you're thinking about getting pregnant soon, then a prenatal vitamin is something you want to take. Um, some people take them, even if they're not getting pregnant, there's a lot of B vitamins in there so they can mm -hmm. help with your hair grow and stuff. Mm -hmm. So some people will take them. Collagen, popular. Yes. Okay. Vital proteins and all of that. Yep. 
there's not a lot of research, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that they're not, we're not really sure how body's using it, but at the very least, it's an okay source of protein. It's not the best source of protein, but it's decent. It has no flavor. You can add it to your oatmeal, a food that wouldn't have protein, and mm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. I always say take something for 30 days, be consistent with it. If you are trying to treat an issue like hair growth or nail growth, and if things get better, then keep taking it. But for the most part, like try, you want to think about what are your individual needs and can I test this one thing at a time for at least 30 days and see if there's a difference. So interesting. Thank you for breaking that down. You're welcome. I feel like I... I'm supposed to be taking all those things that I'm not taking and and I eat pretty balanced like I love fruits and vegetables and I eat mm-hmm. meat occasionally like so I feel like I'm, I'm I should be good but you know you see all this advertising yeah. I'm like oh my god I'm gonna die early I'm gonna look horrible I'm not getting enough vitamins <laughs> yeah. oh an omega-3 an omega-3 is not a bad thing though especially if you don't eat fatty cool. fish that's good for just overall heart health so cool. I'll say that and what about vitamin C? So that's like a hot topic right now. Yeah. Um, there is some research about how it can help symptoms with the flu. There's no research for coronavirus, but that doesn't mean it's not valid. It just means this is so new that we haven't had time to do the research yet. Totally. I anecdotally think that when I take emergency, when I feel like I have a cold or like any of airborne, that mm-hmm. it helps me. I also know that if it doesn't help me, I'm peeing it out and I may have just wasted 10 bucks, but like, (laughs) it makes me feel better. So it's not, again, there is some research to support it. It's probably any of this, you can't have, you can't be a complete mess with your diet or your health and think any of these are going to help you. So first get the basics down, but these things can help enhance an already cool, pretty good diet. Awesome. No, that's so good to know. I definitely, I like invest in every product out there. I'm like, oh, this will work. Oh, this will work. I'm like, I'm probably the worst. So this next question is a selfish one. Mm -hmm. Um, Should we be adding like powders, supplements to our diets? Um, I know you just mentioned that we can get enough nutrients really from our food alone, but are these supplements necessary? Because I own many of them. and Like green powders. Green powders, yeah. Protein powders. powders, (laughs) Protein powders, stuff like that. (laughs) The green powders are definitely a popular one. I also think that many of them are MLMs, not I'm not saying anything against them. There are some that are great, Mm -hmm. but they're often, you know, think about marketing. They sell you, they tell you the problem and they sell you the solution. We, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you have a really crappy diet in the United States, no one is dying of scurvy. No one is dying of any of these diseases or of a vitamin deficiency. Mm -hmm. And if you are, it will come up on your blood work and your doctor will let you know. So the greens powders, I would say if you at least have, couple vegetables or fruits in your diet you do not eat them spirulina that's a little different it is green but it is actually a pretty good protein source if you don't Mm. eat meat so again like if you're you want to think about what what i'm what hole am i trying to fill in my diet so with protein Mm -hmm. powders i don't think everyone needs them i think some people can they can be useful for some people i would never tell someone to replace food with them but if they if someone was really struggling to get a good protein source in their diet, or they love smoothies because they think they're so refreshing. Sometimes I just want a smoothie. Then I'd like to have an option of something I can add to boost the protein a little bit. They're not necessary. They are 
if your protein needs are very high, because let's say you're an athlete or you're trying to gain weight or you're trying to put on muscle, it's going to be very hard to get enough protein through food. You're going to have to be eating a lot. So just adding a powder can help. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never had that problem. I have no trouble getting the food in, but <laughs> I think some people like, especially men who are really trying to put on muscle have trouble getting enough protein and they can eat them. But like, I don't think like you should be adding fiber to your coffee. I think you should be, I think that you should work towards getting 25 to 30 grams of fiber from food. And once you get that, you don't need to be adding more than that. Cool. Gotcha. That That's really helpful. I I really do personally, and maybe other people out there too, our listeners know I'm not the best with my vegetables. And part of that is that um, I feel like through my history with dieting and such, I would always eat the most plain, most like mm -hmm. terrible, terrible vegetables and never add anything. So I don't think I ever acquired like how to make them correctly. So still to this day, greens powders. <laughs> it, so you wouldn't say it's bad to use a greens powder. No. If, Okay. No, <laughs> other than the taste, other than yeah. the taste. But I think that's a really good point because I think people, you know, limit themselves so much because there are so many restrictions that I always say, like, I like Heinz ketchup and I put it on, you know, everything. But if I'm using these things to enhance healthy food, or the other day I posted, I was making a stir fry and I used like a tablespoon of a teriyaki sauce that had sodium and soy in it. And people messaged me like, soy is so bad for you. I'm like, I'm using a tablespoon, you know, big <laughs> thing of vegetables, first of all. And no, soy is not bad for you, first of all. Second of all, we don't need to be worrying about these little things. This is helping me enjoy my healthy food. So it's a very good investment for me. If you need to put a little sesame oil on your green beans or whatever it is to make these foods taste good, it's so much rather someone do that and get the vegetables in and find a way to enjoy them. But like my husband doesn't eat, he's a doctor, doesn't eat any vegetables. He's going to for me and be like, like once yeah. in a while, he's not going to die. But right. would I say like if he would put a greens powder in his smoothie, would it be happy? Yeah, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. Good Very to know. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always trying to get Brenda to make her veggies interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And, and I eat them. Oh, that would be amazing. I eat them when Julia makes them for me. But when I make them myself, I just like, I think I have such a habit of totally. I, I feel like I've established this association with them that they're just not my favorite bland. all the time. Yeah, bland. Exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned also the fiber thing about the daily um, that you said, I think 25 to 30, 25 to 30. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good Get to know. That. Yeah. Because I think especially now, I know you mentioned that factor. We don't have to dive into that at all. But um, I know a lot of people are going significantly over that. Like I know I myself tried to follow that back in the day. Um, and I was like, I like had a goal of going over a significant amount beyond 35. And it wasn't. Yeah, ideal. <laughs> you don't need it, especially because I don't think you can really get more than 35 grams without turning to a supplement. It's mm -hmm. very, very difficult. Or turning to like, I have nothing against these, the smart sweets gummy bears, for example, mm -hmm. that have the fiber added to them. They're fine. If you want to eat them, I have, you know, they are not going to spike your blood sugar, but getting 28 grams of fiber from a little bag of gummy bears is not the same as getting 28 grams from raspberries and beans and all of that. Mm -hmm. So the once you, if you can cover your fiber needs through food, then if you want to like add these things because they're fun and you like them, then that is fine, but they're not better than the real source yeah amazing um speaking of snacks mm -hmm. my 
this is a personal question too, but I'm sure a lot of people can can resonate. My boyfriend's always like, can I have a healthy snack? And I never know what to give him besides like eat some fruit, eat some nuts. Like, do you have any favorite healthy snacks? Are there any healthy snacks that you recommend or love? Yeah. Let's talk about So snacks. I'll go like savory and sweet. So yeah. for savory, yes. some of the like, well, popcorn is great, but I like to take popcorn and then I spritz it with olive oil. And then mm. I add more seasonings to it. So, like, I'll add Parmesan and truffle. Like, <gasps> do truffle popcorn. This is an amazing mm. idea. <laughs> um, or some one of my clients loves buffalo flavor and anything. So, she'll add, like, her favorite hot sauce to that. It also helps to Cute. eat it a little bit more mindfully because it's really spicy. Dry roasted chickpeas or dry roasted edamame are really good options. Again, you could flavor them however you want. Enlightened has broad beans. Enlight- bought a bean. Mm. Oh, yes. They're really good. They have a lot of flavors. They're basically like dried beans. They're really, really good, though. I really like just fresh edamame, too. And something I did a lot when I worked in Manhattan was, like, I would go to a place like Bread and Butter or one of these Mm -hmm. uh, places that have the sushi bar, and I would just get a container of it, and I would kind of snack on that. That's really good. Also, having a really good dip does make veggies more fun. So even if it means that you have to have a heavier dip, but you're getting your veggies in, I think that's a good trade-off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the air fryer. I use all the time. Brenda has one. I do have one. Yeah. So I don't picture my husband eating this. Like if you put kale (laughs) chips in there, but I think that, you know, throwing veggies in there and putting a lot of seasonings on them can make them feel more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for sweet stuff, I like, I'm a big fan of the ice creams. Um, Halo Top, they have pops now, they have pints. I also, there's like Yasso bars, which are the frozen yogurt bars. Yeah, those are so good. So good. Um, if you go to Trader Joe's, they have these chocolate covered strawberries. You can also make your own. Just mm-hmm. take fresh strawberries and drizzle chocolate and then it's mostly strawberry with just a little chocolate, but it does feel more interesting. I also really like, I'll take ricotta cheese and I'll drizzle honey and chocolate chips in there. And Yum. that's like a really good. It's like a fake snack. cannoli. Exactly. <laughs> yup. Exactly. Or you can make in the winter, you can make it hot or in the summer, you can make it cold, but like a almond milk, unsweetened cocoa powder, some stevia and make a hot chocolate. Yum. So that works really well. I have a lot of clients who, you know, will sit on the couch and their biggest thing is snacking at night. So they like that it lasts a long time. It lasts through like an entire yes, episode yes. of Vanderpump Rules or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And you're not getting up for more. So, so yeah. you know, just knowing what your vices are. Oh, love mm-hmm. that. And Alex has a lot of really fun recipes on her Instagram too. So yeah. go look there for some recipes. Definitely recipe. check it out. <laughs> yeah, that was those were all great. I'm gonna do the helpful. Chris is gonna be really happy. He's gonna be so happy. <laughs> um, and Alex, being that we are in our twenties, for someone in their twenties that wants to drink socially, which alcohol would you say is best and, and how how harmful is alcohol? to our overall health, if it's in moderation, let's say. Yeah. So I think it's tough because drinking culture is the crazy thing. But if it's in moderation, I have no problem with it. I would say most of my clients are in their 20s or early 30s, and they're going to happy hours, they're going out with friends, they're going on dates, and they do consume alcohol. So I just want them to kind of know how it affects them. 
and how does it affect your food behavior number one so like at what number drink do you become crazy around food and knowing that um i actually think like the spiked seltzer so like white claw truly but like all of those things are great because you can it's a much easier to stay on top of how it's gonna hit you whereas a cocktail mm-hmm. wherever you go you don't know how many shots are really in there and at you can have two drinks and be mm-hmm. fine. And then the third puts you over. So I do think like the, just knowing it's a really hundred calorie yeah, thing, not a ton of alcohol in there. You just kind of know how it hits you. But for the most part, alcohol is, we call it the fourth macronutrient. So it doesn't have protein, fat, or carbs. It's sort of its own separate entity. Your body does view it as a toxin. So the main thing with alcohol to know is that your body doesn't actually really want to convert alcohol to fat. But what it will do is anything you're eating with it, it's pretty much, it's putting that digestion on the back burner, which means Mm -hmm. the food you're eating is going to be more likely to be turned to fat because your body has to work really hard to get the alcohol out. Interesting. So yeah, so you want to be aware of that. And that's the only time where I'd say, especially if you're going out and you're thinking about how am I going to balance this in the context of a healthy diet? say like, okay, if you're normally going to get an appetizer, an entree, a drink and a dessert and the bread basket, narrow this down. So instead of all of that, maybe your wine becomes in place of the bread basket and your second glass of wine becomes in place of dessert. And you're thinking that, but if you didn't get the alcohol, then have the bread and just kind of think of it that way. I really think it matters how it hits you. Some fun cocktails. I would say I don't like to waste the calories on sugary mixers because there are so many ways to lighten up a cocktail and still enjoy it but that doesn't mean you only have to drink a vodka soda you can do a moscow mule that's a pretty light cocktail you can do you can ask and don't tell the bartender i said this because sometimes (laughs) they are like you're so annoying but (laughs) any cocktail without simple syrup or with Mm -hmm. a lot less i always do because like sugar just doesn't it makes me nauseous it just doesn't Mm -hmm. really sit right with me so they must think i'm so annoying everywhere i go like my margaritas i'm like no agave no syrup yeah tequila and lime (laughs) i have um on my website i have a happy hour survival guide with some of those tips fun but some places do have, I was in Puerto Rico recently and the hotel I was staying at had stevia simple syrup. So that was a really cool option. And the other product I love is Spoon, which is a monk fruit sweetened simple syrup. Um, so if you are Very making a cool. cocktail at home, you can use that. But spirits like tequila, rum, vodka, whiskey, they're all pretty much the same. If you prefer that to a glass of wine, if you prefer a glass of wine, they're all about the same. You just want to moderate how much you're having. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. We're all thinking about that. You know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> how can we get our cocktails in? <laughs> I know. For sure. So, Alex, if there was someone who, let's say, is pretty, doesn't really know a lot about nutrition, maybe doesn't have the best balanced diet, but wants to start to get on track, what's like the first kind of tangible step that you would give someone to start taking control of their health? I would say food journaling is one of the most helpful things and it doesn't have, you do not have to put numbers to it. You can literally take out a notebook or the notes section of your phone and just write down what you're eating to gain awareness. And then you can go back and look and see, oh, I didn't even realize I do that. But you want to look for patterns. You don't want to just look at, okay, this food is bad or this food is good. How long are, how long is breakfast keeping you full for? Mm. How long is lunch keeping you full for? When are you craving sugar in the day? 
there's usually some kind of pattern to it. So it's never just like looking at numbers and ignoring everything else. So you want to kind of look for patterns. But I also think if you get really honest with yourself, you will know deep down what you can fix to be healthier. Whether that's I need to be drinking less or I need to be careful of the late night snacking or I need to make sure I eat lunch because I keep trying to skip lunch to save calories every day and I eat the entire kitchen before dinner. So I think if you take like a really good look at it too, something will come to you and think about one thing that you can improve, whether it's your water intake, whether it's committing to a workout, whether it's committing to cooking lunch, set one small goal at a time and don't try to like completely reinvent yourself and start this entire new diet with an entire new set of rules. Take what you're doing, keep what's good and start slowly fixing what's not. Love that. One thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like people get a moment of inspiration and we have this all or nothing mentality, all those things. So that can make a really, <laughs> really big impact one way or another. So yeah. I also think the the journal is such a good tip because, yeah. um, and obviously not like, I think there's a point where people are obsessive with journaling and it makes you feel bad and all the things, but I've actually recently been, um, just writing down what I've been eating. And it's actually been helpful for me to see like, oh, I'm kind of not eating enough protein at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just to kind of figure out that whole balanced plate thing, it's been super helpful. And I also am personally, I love a habit tracker of sort, even just like keeping track of how much water Mm -hmm. I'm having and all that stuff. It it makes a big difference. It does. And when you pay attention to one of those habits, other things do tend to improve. It's like the idea of making your bed in the morning. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Alex, you have been so amazing. You have given us so much information. I'm going to have to like listen back and write it all down. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on. We just have two little questions for you before you leave. Sure. Um, This question, it does not have to be related to nutrition. It can be if you want it to be. I know you're almost out of the 20s, but has there been any resource in your life that has helped guide you through your 20s? Could be a book, a person, a podcast, anything. That is a great question. Um, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. And I do love reading too. I listen, to, I read like a lot of self-help books. Um, I really love Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And I love Gary Vaynerchuk and Ed Milet. Yes. yes. <laughs> yep. And so I also really love certain fitness instructors that just make me feel good. So Fitting Room is one of those places in Manhattan that whenever I go into that studio, I feel really strong and really happy. And, you know, Soul Cycle was the same thing for me too at a, at a time where like I would go in and I would cry. But find a place in a community like that for yourself where Love you it. can, maybe it's like not your friend group and it's a totally separate place where you can really like be yourself because you can't 100% be yourself with people who have known you for so long. It feels like you can't change. So how kind of keep some separate space? Love that. Wow. That's really good advice. Yeah. Um, and our last question is where can people find you on social media if they want to work with you or if there's anything else that you want to plug? Yeah. So I am on Instagram. My handle is Alex, A-L-I-X, Turoff underscore R-D. And if you click the link in my bio, you'll find my website. You'll find a link to my podcast and all of that fun stuff. But you can DM me if you have questions or anything like that. Awesome. Alex, awesome. thank you so, so thank much. You, you so were much. Incredible. Thank you. 
thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. And when this is all over, we'll have to do a Long Island meetup. Yes. Yes. 100%. When we can see people again. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Friday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.